0: Hey, so last week, Pastor Sam uh, started a series around firsts, and uh, just thinking about kind of the various areas God's kind of calling us to kind of give him the first. So he talked about uh, the first day of the week, allocating some time to spend some with him, first portion of our income, giving back to him, the first part of our day in connecting with God, and then making our first priority his last commandment, which was about kind of making disciples and mission and stuff. So it's a great framework to just think about Um, this idea that our lives are going to be formed by actually giving God the first. And and what I want to do today is actually, I want to kind of go to a a saying that Jesus, look at one saying that Jesus said about this, And and the way that Jesus does, he tends to kind of Cut through all the clutter, cut through all the externalities and stuff, and go right to the heart of things and the core of things. And in a way that can, uh, if we're overly familiar, it sounds sounds very pious and whatever. But actually, if you can kind of hear it afresh, it's like it's quite radical, it's quite challenging, even quite disturbing. (laughs) They're kind of like, wow, Jesus, like that's pretty, that's pretty intense. And so the saying that I want to really just focus on today is, Jesus just said this: Yeah, just seek first His kingdom and His righteousness like beyond it, just put him first, and it's like, whoa, that's pretty intense, like I kind of get like, hey, Jesus, um, you know, this idea, hey, it'd be good to kind of factor Jesus into your life somewhere, and you know, he's nice, and he wants to kind of help you sort out the other things, and I kind of get that, but he's like, yeah, just, just seek God first, and it's like, Oh, that's a bit awkward, Jesus. That's a bit intense. And so I kind of want to, I want to unpack why he would say this, what he would mean by this what would that mean for our lives? And so part of it is a bit of context of where, where this comes from. And so kind of this is a theme that's kind of developed all throughout the Bible. Last week, I think Pastor Sam introduced this, probably the first religious act in the Bible, right? Genesis 4, only four chapters into the Bible. And just talked about this guy Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, and the Lord looked with favor on Abel. And this idea that there was this kind of instinctive heart thing, which again, I'm going to focus on for Jesus. It's always about the heart eh so he goes behind the practices to go for the heart and and something in this was like there was something in Abel's heart that instinctively went i want to acknowledge god and his goodness to me and his blessing by kind of taking the first and the best and giving it back to god and god's like man i really like that heart because it's about a generosity of spirit both ways it's recognizing god you've been loving you've been kind you've been generous and it's like god i just want to say thanks by giving something back. And so, so this is kind of right at the heart of Scripture. That's why it's so great doing this series. And so, so then when you go forward, when Moses kind of came with the law to set up this nation of Israel, it's not surprising that this was kind of in the, in, in all kinds of ways as, as how they lived with God. So Exodus 13, consecrate to me every firstborn male. So it's like, yeah, the first... The first is kind of dedicated to God. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil. It's kind of these practices that God said, just do this. And there's this beautiful passage in Deuteronomy, which again, although it was all about defining practices, kind of gives God's always been about the heart. Eh? And so this kind of shows the heart behind it. And it's kind of 11 verses. It's a bit long, stuff, but I want to read it because it, it's the heart of it. When you've entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it take some of the first fruit of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God has given you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord God will choose as a dwelling for his name, and say to the priest in office at that time, and here's the thing, I declare today that the Lord, to the Lord your God, that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. It's like the declaration is, I declare God has been good. I declare his promises have been true. I declare that he has done good to me. Isn't that amazing? Like It was kind of this declaration, and and that's why now I want to kind of honor that. God has been good. God has blessed me. And it actually goes on. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. And then another declaration, and it's a recounting of this history. My father was a wandering Aramaean, and he went down to Egypt with a few people, and he lived there and became a great nation. Uh, But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer. Verse 7, then we cried out to the Lord, our God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery and toil and oppression. It's like, I remember where I came from, and it wasn't that flesh. And it wasn't that great, but God did something in my life. God has been good, and there was this exercise to go back and again. This is what my life was. This is where my life was going. This is what it could have been like. And then to go, then to recount the acts. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and he gave us this land, a land flowing. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, the Lord, have given me. Man, my life was not great, but God, you gave me good things. And so now I declare, I come and bring the best and the first of what you gave me. It's not like, ah. Stingy, like wrenching something out of your hands. It's this overwhelming saying, God, you saved my life. Yeah. You gave me good things. You gave me promises. And so I come and I declare to you that I gladly give this back to you. And, and, it, and it just says, place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Just in humble adoration. God, you have been good to me. And then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. The first thing was a thing like, man, this is what my life was. God, you have been so good, and I happily come and give this best to acknowledge everything good in my life came from you, and now I get to celebrate all of the other good things myself. And, and so it's behind this practice, there was this heart thing that God was after. God has always been after the heart. Uh, interesting, in the New Testament, Paul says this about the law the law was our guardian or tutor, or in Greek, it's a pedagogy, like a teacher. It's like these things, uh, uh, Shane Willard said, it often doesn't give a lot of, just don't kill people. Don't commit adultery, you know, don't lie. It doesn't give a lot of background. That was to kind of grow, like just do the practices. And as you grow up into them, you start to realize the heart behind it. And, 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 and so this thing of the first and giving God the first, it's like, yeah, do the practices, but as you do it, start to realize the heart behind it. And this was even in the Old Testament. The prophets realized God is not really into the externalities. He's into the heart behind it. So you see in Samuel, like, does the Lord really delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying? To obey is better to sacrifice. It's, like, it's not about practices. It's about the heart, Um, Hosea picks it up I desire mercy not sacrifice Acknowledgement of God God was never about the things It was about the heart behind the things And so Jesus actually quotes that thing from Hosea twice This is where Jesus fits into this whole story In the prophetic tradition Hey it's not about just practices It's about the heart behind the practices And so when we come to this Yeah there's a whole lot of practices But Jesus wants to zero in on the heart behind the practices and he's like, you can do all this, and, and, and but your heart is not in it. And, and so his answer is, no, this is what I'm looking for. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's like, man, Jesus, that's a big, that's a compelling um, demand on my life. That's a compelling vision that you say this is human flourishing, to put God first, to put his purposes first. I just thought I was being, just factor you in. Like, no, he's saying, no, this is my vision for your life, that God would be first in your life. And again, part of the narrower context of this, it's this famous passage of Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, which again, people can read as very pious, like Jesus sitting there, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit and stuff. It's like, no, no, this is supposed to be a really kind of confronting, disturbing, challenging passage. And, 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 he, and again, it's all about the heart. So we will say things like this. Yeah, there was a law about, uh, about murder. It was never really about murder. It was about anger in your heart. You know, there was a law about adultery. The line wasn't at adultery. The line was about lust in your heart. And, and and he uses really colorful, provocative language. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank? I mean, that colorful, vibrant, challenging kind of language. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Another, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like, you've got to pick up kind of the vivid communication, color, humor of this. I mean, that's a stupid idea, isn't it? Literally. You don't give with this hand so this hand doesn't know. It's a colorful way of communicating. Just just give in secret. It's not about reputation. And so he uses really colorful language. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Let me God is not advocating self-harm and self-mutilation. It's an image. Like, if you've got an issue, deal with it seriously. He's using colorful, vivid language. That's what Jesus does. And so when he comes here, he's being deliberately provocative, Deliberate. Hey, you people who like to think that you're nice and good, yeah, that's all, just seek God first. It's like, whoa, that's a bit uncomfortable, I said, well, I kind of get seek God, but seek God first. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, the Bible has always been put God first. Yeah. Yeah. As, as this is what human life is about. And, and seek. Seek is a language of the heart. It's a language of passion, of intent, of going after, of inquiring, of pursuing. It's not just like factor God in and give him a nice little spot on the side. It's like, no, pursue him as the first priority Put God first. Go with passion. I'm looking for hearts that go after God first in life. And, and, and then seek his kingdom and his righteousness. He defines this earlier on with the prayer. What does it mean to seek his kingdom? Your kingdom come just means this, your will be done. Just, it doesn't mean factor religion into your life. Go after God's will, God's purposes, God's goodness in every part of your life. Let my overwhelming first priority, I just want to see God's will done in every part of my life. That's the first priority of my life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I seek that first, and there, and there is a bit of a nice bit on the end, and these other things will be given to you, but it's like, Jesus, you want some advice? Just go after me first. Just pursue me first with all your heart. Just seek me, and, and these other things will find their place when you put me first, and that's why I think Pastor Sam has done the, the series. It's like, yeah, it's not about having God there. It's like the challenge is put him first. And that's the path to flourishing. Again, when you look at it in context, it's like, Jesus, you're a bit, like, this is like, this is crazy. Because the context of specifically is this. He's like, oh, don't worry about your life. What will you eat or drink? About your body, what you will wear? Is there not more, is, is not life more than food? He's not like, hey, Once you made your first million, you know, there's this whole transition from success to significance. And so be good maybe now that you're financially free and secure that you maybe think about God a bit more. He's like, when you don't know what you're going to eat tomorrow and you don't know if you're going to have clothes to wear tomorrow, don't worry about that. Just put God first. It's like, are you nuts, Jesus? (laughs) Like you cannot be, this is, you've got to put it in this language, the sermon, I mean, incredibly provocative. And then he turns totally hippie on us. Like, have you looked at the birds of the air and how they don't worry? Have you looked at the flowers, how glorious? Like, yeah, it's all good. Don't worry. Just, you know, just hang loose, bro, and it's all good. Like, It's like, Jesus, come on. I've got to sort my life out, and this is your advice? Look at the birds and the flowers? And and he's, yeah, so don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? This is the immediate context. What shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. Yeah, and God knows you need to. But seek First is kingdom. The bar is pretty low for when this kicks in, okay? It's not at like, like I said, it's not when you're financially free and secure and, and, and you've got your year's savings and you've got your Kiwi Saver sorted out. It's like when you don't know what you're gonna eat tomorrow, seek God first. Like you're supposed to be like half provo- provoked, half challenged, half like you can't be serious, Jesus, That's the kind of communicator he is. And his final conclusion is this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow, Jesus. Oh, don't worry about that. Just today. Seek God. Just put God first today. We'll worry about that tomorrow. This is not great practical advice from Jesus. This is provocative kingdom teaching that's supposed to leave us a bit awkward and uncomfortable. Like, you can't really be serious, Jesus. But he's like, yeah, this is this is my secret to life. I've come to give you life and all its fulfillment. Seek first. Seek first. I find that challenging. i would be ha- quite happy. Yes, yeah, seek God. Okay, I get that. When he says, seek first, it's like, whoa, Jesus. And he's like, trust me. I'm I'm after your best. I'm for you. And this is my answer to life. Seek me first. Seek me first. And so you go, man, what, what about all these? Are oh, these that kind of so important? Why are we doing a series on these when it's about your heart? Well, Jesus was a master psychologist, and he knew this. Where well, your treasure is, your heart will be also. Oh, I don't do these because if I fail to do them, I'm guilty or God's angry or I'm going to hell. I do these because I know that I'm formed by the habits that I put in place, the habits of my heart. These are not salvation issues, they're not issues of eternal destiny in heaven and hell. They're issues of growth and maturity and flourishing. I choose how am I gonna how am I Jesus' advice is seek me first. I need to put in place some practices that keep pulling my heart back to that place. When I give God the first day of the week to come and worship together, when I give him the first part of my income, when I give him the first part of my day not to jump on social media about to open a devotional, when I actually, the fourth one, when I actually make his, my first priority, his last commandment. Oh, I do, I do this for my growth. I do this to ensure that this time next year, when I look inside and examine my heart, I say, yeah, I think I'm still seeking him first. Yeah, I think I'm still seeking him first. Why would you bother doing these things? Because I want Jesus to shape my heart, and my heart is shaped by the practices that I put in place. And so I want to focus in on the one, the number four, which is probably the least kind of tangible. Like it's pretty clear, oh yeah, I, I, on the first day of the week, I turn up to church and worship. Oh yeah, when the, when the pay comes in, I give the first part of that back to God. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to have a devotion. But the first, the, number four, Pastor Sam said, that we make our first priority his last commandment, which is go and make disciples. Well, what does that mean? That's a, bit, that's a bit less kind of tangible, eh? A bit less easy to kind of tick the box that I've done that. And so I want to unpack that for a few minutes. Is that all right? I hope it is. I'm going to anyway. So um, <laughs> uh, a few weeks ago, Christine and I had a few days off down around Ruapehu, and, um, and we went for a drive. I don't know if you know, if you carry on from this side. On the other side, there's a little township, National Park, and if you turn left, heading south, there's a tiny little place called Erewa. And some of you may find this very hard to believe, but in my former life, when I was a youth worker, I used to run outdoor pursuits-type camps out of there. Yeah, 30 years of neglect is why it looks like this today. But I, I used to do that, and uh, and when I there, I remember this. Um, I remember that we used to send, we used to take people on this tramp up over the mountains through this wilderness area, and come back, and everyone's totally shattered at the end after. Two or three days. But we used to do this little exercise where we used to get people to, and this is before social media, and it was stressful then. This would probably be, freak people out now. Just for an hour, sit there in silence. 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, sit there in silence for an hour, no engagement, and just, and just reflect and listen to God. And I, remember, and I remember this time doing that, and for 50 minutes, you're just trying to stay awake because you're so tired and nothing's happened, and then right at the end, it's always right at the end day, this one sentence popped into my mind, this sentence, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And I had a sequ- funny, you remember, I have this sequence of thoughts go in my mind. Number one thought was this, well, that can't be right because God would surely look down at the 99 people who are doing what he wants and be happy about them. Like, that can't be right. Second thought was, I think that's in the Bible, and it is, it's in Luke 15. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And there's a second verse a few verses down that fills in the picture. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I so this is my th- sequence of thoughts. That can't be right. Surely God would like the people who are doing what he wants. Number two, I think that's in the Bible. And my third thought was this, which is the helpful thought. I wonder how God sees the world so he would think like that. How does God see the world so that there would be more joy in heaven over one person who comes back to him than the 99 who are currently with him. There's a, Pastor Sam, uh, if you are at team night, talked about our, our prayer le- changes our paradigm, which then changes our priorities. If you want big flash language, what's God's paradigm that generates that priority? How does he see the world that he's more excited about one person who repents than 99 people who are doing what he currently wants? Does that... Does that sound confusing? It sounded confusing to me when I was, like, 23 or 24. And, and this picture came to my mind of, a like, a ship, a liner cruise ship or something that had run aground just off, you know, a, a few hundred meters off the coast, and, and it's sinking, and people are in the sea, and there are lifeboats there. And, and they're pulling people into the lifeboats. And on the shore, there's a line of people. And every time someone gets pulled into the lifeboat, there's this eruption. Yeah, one more saved. Yeah, one more saved. And I thought, that's how he sees the world. Because in that mindset, yeah, you love the people who are in the boat, but your priority is the people who have just been rescued. And, and the idea the angels rejoice, that the angels are standing in heaven going, yeah, they've got one more. Yeah, they saved one more. That the priority is not, oh, I hope the ones in the boat are comfortable. I hope the worship wasn't too long for them, and I hope they liked the sermon and the seats were comfortable. It's like, yeah, we just got one more out of the sea. One more who was drowning, we just rescued them. One more got saved. And, and and I'm convinced that's how God sees the world. That's his pra- paradigm that generates his first priority, which is like, yeah, I like the 99 who are, who are currently all safe, but they're safe. My priority is we just got one more in the boat. It's like when there's an earthquake and you know, the buildings are collapsed and they send in teams and every time they pull out someone alive, there's this eruption of, yay, hey, we got one more. And somehow we've got to, sh- like, that's how God sees the world. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, had a similar vision to this. He saw this platform out on the sea, and people are drowning, and there's people wandering around the platform admiring themselves and having nice cups of tea, and there's a few people down on the edge pulling people out, and, he, and that was his vision of the church, and that's what motivated him to start Salvation Army. It's like, no, no, God's priority is get people out of the sea. It's like, I want to start a church on the gates of hell. I want to pull as many people out as I can. Like, the first priority of God is, yeah, I want to nurture the people who are saved. Yeah, I, wanna, I want you to grow, but uh, there's a priority to get people who are lost and get them found and get them saved. And and so that's why this first is is so important. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna give God my first day. Yeah, I'm gonna give him the first of my offering. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna, my first of my income and offerings. Yeah, I'm gonna give him the first part of my day. But somehow I don't understand his heart until I understand his priority Is to is to see lost people found. Is to see people come home to God. Um, This is from Luke chapter fifteen. It's probably my favourite, probably foundational chapter in the Bible. Where again the context, just quickly, tax collectors and sinners gather around Jesus. The Pharisees, teachers of the laws, muttered, "This man welcomes sinners." The religious people didn't understand Jesus's priority. If you were a godly man, you would hang around with the ninety-nine nice people. Jesus, like, no, no, I get God's priority. I'm hanging around with the people who need me the most. And so in response to the fact that they don't get it, he tells three stories. He tells the story where this comes from, of a shepherd who has 100 sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one until he finds it? What kind of paradigm is that? What kind of way of looking? Yeah, that's safe, the 99. My, my priority is the one who's currently lost. I've got to go and find them. And, and the joy that comes when, when he finds the sheep, and which leads to the sentence that we talked about, more rejoicing in heaven over the one. Second parable, same story. Woman has 10 coins, loses one. We'll leave the nine to go and find the one because the priority is the one that's lost. Again, the rejoicing that happens when she finds it. And again, the thing about the angel's rejoicing, which leads to the third parable. If you want to, like in Jewish thought, if you want to really emphasize something, you say it three times. Jesus is like, how could you religious people not get this, that this is God's priority? You think God's priority is you just become squeaky clean and squeaky clean and nicer and nicer and more distance and looking down on everyone else. No, my priority is you're all good kind of relatively. You're all goods. There's people drowning. We've got to get them. We've got to help them. We've got to focus on them. And so the story of the man who had two sons and the one son that goes away and loses, he's lost to him. And the joy when the son comes back, the father runs to him, has compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him and, and, and quick, have a feast. Why? Because down in verse 24, the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He's like, I had two sons. The good boy who stayed at home and the one who went away. Where's my priority? My heart aches for the one that's lost to me, and I just want him back. And 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 the older son doesn't get it, and he's offended. Down the bottom, it said he became angry. He's like, I've been doing the hard yards. I've been faithful, you. Do. I've been good. And the dad goes out to him, uh, and he's like. Um, he, he said, yeah, we, verse 32, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive And is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's a biblical commentary that says this about this whole chapter. The section 15, 1 to 32, this, defends and commends preoccupation with the lost. Defends, Jesus is defending his practice to religious people who didn't get it and commends telling them they should have the same paradigm preoccupation, and overflowing joy at their restoration. We all respond this way with what is our own, and this attitude corresponds to the concerns of a father's heart for his own children, each of whom is singularly precious in his sight. We learned this about um, 14 years ago, when uh, Christine and I have three adult kids. Um, about 14 years ago, uh, one of them ran away in the middle of the night. And you go, I've got three kids, I love them all. Two of them are tucked up safely in bed. One of them, I don't know where she is. She might be having the time of her life. She might be in danger, but she's lost to me, so who am I preoccupied with? I'm preoccupied with the one who's currently out of relationship. I'm preoccupied. My heart cannot rest until I know that they're safe, until they've come home again. That's the paradigm of God. The heart of a father who aches for his children that are away from him. And so his first priority, his first priority, his first priority is to try and reach out and welcome people home. You know, one of the things I love about Equippers is, is um, we have these heartbeat. Again, heart, they're values. They're not practices. They're heart. We want to honor God. We want to do things with excellence. We want to advance his kingdom through seven. We want to reach out and we do this together. And it's interesting how some of them flow. Like, because we honor God, we want to give him our best. But some of them, we kind of, there's a creative tension. Like, in our services, we want to honor God's presence. We want to worship. We want to have moments of encounter. But we also want to reach out. And so, so some people are, I often have these conversations with people who are like, ah. Oh, why don't we have longer worship? Why are our services so precious? And I often say, oh, you don't understand. Our services aren't a failure of our values are an expression of our values. We want to honor God, but we want to reach out. We want to create opportunities. God's biggest priority this morning would be people who are away from him, that there would be an opportunity for them to come home. And, 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 and it's like, oh, we choose to live with that. But actually, when you understand the heart of God, they're not intention. If we honor God, his heart, his first priority is for people to come to him. And we honor God, not by having an hour of worship. We honor God. And that's appropriate in another space, but we deliberately go, is the way that we do this, we honor God by making sure that we create an environment where people could come to faith. And I got great, if you're a visitor here and you're not sure what's going on, I got all of this stuff. It's just for you. It's just... Because we know God's heart just wants you to come home. Yeah. Yeah. And everything here is for you. And that's why equip us, as he's saying, it's all about the one. This could be somebody's one day. We know we often do this prayer, who is close to you but far from God. Um, as Pastor Leela, we don't kind of do that line these days. If you're a visitor, you're our VOP. Maybe we thought it was a bit condescending or something. We kind of dropped that the last few years. But we did our first notice is what? If you're a visitor here, we want to give you some Chocolate. And the first tent that we mention is not the white tent for prayer, and that's important, and not the red tent for e-groups, and that's important. It's the black tent for visitors and people who come to visit Because everything about equipers is we get the first priority of the heart of God, which is that lost people matter to God. This is the saying that is, I don't know how old I was, 23, 24. kind of blew my mind that how does God see the world so he thinks like this? There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So we're doing a series about firsts, and we're going to talk about some practices like committing to the first day of the week, I just turn up. Committing to the first part of my income I give to God. Committing to the first part of the day I'm going to allocate to understanding god committing to the fact i'm going to try and factor in this thing how do i keep my first priority god's heart for the lost but underneath it all is because i want a heart that goes i seek first god i seek first god's kingdom